Welcome to the New Life Podcast. We are a church in Milton Keynes that seeks to love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations. We're so glad you're here. Good morning. How are we all? We okay? Good. God is good, isn't he? An elderly couple are in church. The wife leans over and whispers to her husband, I just let out a long, silent fart. What should I do? The husband replies, well, first off, replace the batteries in your hearing aid. It's good though, isn't it? I've got another one. Do you want another one? It's a bit longer. It's a bit cleaner than that one. And I must put a caveat on this. There is no, th- I'm not making any theological statements. This is not teaching. Okay, this is a joke, this one. So don't get your theology from this. You'll hear why. St. Peter stood at the pearly gates. Okay, there's you. Waiting for the incoming. He saw Jesus walking by and caught his attention. Jesus, could you mind the gate while I go run an errand? Sure, replied Jesus. What do I have to do? Well, just find out about the people who arrive. Ask about their background, their family, and their lives. Then decide if they deserve entry into heaven. Sounds easy enough? Sure. So Jesus waited at the gates while St. Peter went off on his errand. And the first person to approach the gates was a wrinkly old man. Jesus summoned him to the examination table and sat across from him. Jesus peered at the old man and asked, What was it you did for a living? The old man replied, I was a carpenter. Jesus remembered his own earthly existence and leaned further forward still. Did you have any family, he asked. Why, yes, I had a son, but I lost him far too early. Jesus leaned in with intrigue. You lost your son. Can you tell me about him? Well, he had holes in his hands and his feet. Jesus leaned forward uh, forward further and whispered father the old man leaned forward and whispered Pinocchio (laughs) that's it for jokes now I won't tell you what my wife (laughs) said when I told her that joke last night (sighs) good to be in the presence of God isn't it There's fullness of joy in his presence. Okay, we've got some uh, serious content to come, but we can laugh in his presence, can't we? We can have fun together. And since the turn of the year, we have been on a journey together looking at the life of Jesus with the aim of understanding how we can each live like him. And this sermon series called The Way is about how we can each be disciples of Jesus and make disciples of all people just as Jesus commanded us in Matthew 28. But ask yourself, is it really possible for us to live like Jesus and do the things he modeled to us? He is the son of God after all. We've had some excellent teaching in recent weeks, showing us that Jesus, while being fully God, was also fully human. Not only in order to save us, but to model a life, uh, what a life lived under the power of God could look like. 
And we've seen that Jesus, because he laid aside his divinity, showed us what was possible when you live in obedience to God under the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fully obedient to the Father, and he was reliant on the Holy Spirit's power to perform all the miracles, signs, and wonders we read about in Scripture. Why is this important? Because what was possible for Jesus as he lived this way is supposed to be possible for us. This is why we're looking at the life of Jesus. Not that we should feel bad about ourselves and go, we're so far off but that we might receive his invitation to come and follow him and walk like he did. Does anyone else want to walk like Jesus today? So Jesus showed us how to be human. He showed us how to live under the power and guidance of the Spirit. He showed us how to pray. And last week we saw how Jesus modeled perfect obedience to the Father. And this week we're going to spend some time looking at how Jesus viewed the Bible. What was his value for scripture, how did he use it? This week, let's walk in the way of the word together. Amen? Yes. Let me give you, it's not quite a joke, but a satirical news story from the uh, Christian satirical website Babylon B. I don't know if you've ever gone there for a, a humorous read, but here's a, a spoof article that they wrote. The title is, Local Man Asks God to Speak to Him While Sitting Three Feet from a Bible. And here's the article. According to sources, local man Steve Harrison, apologies if your name here is Steve Harrison, this is not a reflection on you. Uh, Steve Harrison fervently prayed last Thursday that the Lord would speak to him and make his will for the man's life clear, all while sitting literally three feet away from God's word as revealed in the Bible. Father God, he said, if you would just speak to me, Father. He prayed as God's prophetic word made more sure sat just on the other end of the table at which he was seated. If you would just show me your plan for my life and just reveal your truth to me, Father God, he continued, somehow missing the fact that God's truth had already been perfectly revealed to him in the scriptures. I just really need you to speak to me personally, Lord. At publishing time, sources had confirmed that a frustrated Harrison eventually gave up on trying to hear God's words and resigned himself to just reading the Bible instead. Although clearly taking a satirical look into a Christian perspective on hearing from God, does this article actually tap into our current cultural moment on a deeper level? These things are often funny because there's, a, there's an element of truth in them. It's something we recognize, right? And I'd like to su suggest that it does ring deeper. I think that what we're seeing in the church, which is echoing right, wider popular culture, is a growing skepticism and cynicism when it comes to the authority of the Bible. It's a response, and a natural response, to the failures of authority we see around us whether that involves political or pastoral figures, not just in this nation, but across the nations. And I think we've become both weary and wary, tired and troubled by the authority figures who claim to have the last say on a subject, and certainly those who try to enforce that say on others. And we watch, don't we, their public rise and their public fall. And sadly, we're not surprised any longer at the latest headlines. It's almost become a, an expectation that someone we look to and hold in high esteem will fall and will fail. 
So why would it be any different when it comes to the authority of the Bible? A book which is said to be the very word of God, a book which has a lot to say on many of today's hot topics and may seem outdated and draconian to some, particularly when it comes to popular culture and media opinion on these topics. Am I wrong? Late American pastor Tim Keller wrote this about the current cultural moment we find ourselves in. He says, the root idea of modernity, even more fundamental than confidence in rationality, and I will simplify this because I had to do some work on it myself, is the overturning of all authority outside of the self. In the 18th century, European Enlightenment thinkers insisted that the modern person must question all tradition, revelation, and external authority by subjecting them to the supreme court of his or her reason and intuition. We are our own moral authority. What's he saying? In effect, he's saying that our current way of thinking as a culture revolves not just around trusting in logic, but more about rejecting all authority outside of oneself. The narrative sold to us is that we should question all traditional beliefs, teachings, and external rules. Let's uh, destruct, uh, uh, deconstruct, sorry, all that we know, all that we've been uh, part of. Instead, we should judge everything based on our own reasoning and failings. Be your own guide, the world says, your own moral compass. Find yourself and be true to yourself. Author Rene Sproles says, in a world where so many authority structures have let us down or worse, caused serious harm, we have become calloused and lost discernment of what, if anything, remains trustworthy. I don't know about you, but I'm recognizing some of this in what I see in my life and in the, and in the media and in the, in the culture and in friends and family. John Stott, in his book, The Authority of the Bible, written over 40 years ago now, asks this question. He says, why should people believe that the Bible is God's written word, inspired by his spirit and authoritative over their lives? Should we take a blind leap of faith and find our way to belief in what we strongly suspect is unbelievable? No. Should we simply believe because the universal church is considered scripture perfect, reliable, and authoritative? No. Should we believe scripture is authoritative simply based on feeling or experience that it's true in our own lives? Again, no. No, according to John Stott, the overriding reason for accepting the divine inspiration authority of scripture is loyalty to Jesus. We're not saying that those other reasons aren't valid reasons, but they're not the primary reason. The primary reason is loyalty to Jesus, is faith in Jesus, it's belief in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. He was not just a good man. He was not just an example to be followed. He was not simply a revolutionary pushing against the religious establishment. Jesus was the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. All things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together by the word of his might. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He purifies us from sin. He reconciled us to God so that we, once enemies, are now holy, pure, and blameless. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. All the fullness of God dwelt in him. He is seated at the right hand of God, and he will reconcile all things through himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Does this sound like someone we invite into our lives as a personal associate or life coach? Does this sound like someone we can ignore when it comes to what he believes about the authority of the Bible? Jesus believed in the authority of the word. He showed us how to use the Bible in every situation. He knew the scriptures inside and out, and he applied them to everyday challenges of life. You know, he referenced the Old Testament more than 80 times in his three-year ministry. Throughout his entire ministry, from the time of his temptation to the moment of his death, Jesus consistently spoke the words of scripture. You see, he wanted his followers to understand that he came not to disregard the scriptures, but to fulfill them. Jesus considered the scriptures as his guide to understanding the Father's will and grasping his own purpose in the world. And so we bring our minds into submission to the mind of Christ. We want to conform our thoughts to his thoughts. Do you know the scripture? Be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. It's from Jesus that we receive our understandings of God and ourself, of good and evil, duty and destiny, time and eternity, heaven and hell. We get this from Jesus. Our understanding of everything is shaped by what Jesus taught. And this everything means, guess what? Everything. Including his teaching about the Bible. Are you with me? So what did Jesus teach about the Bible? American pastor John Piper writes, Jesus teaches that all scripture bears witness to himself. That he came to fulfill all that was written in scripture and that he kept the law perfectly. Let's look at this in more detail, shall we? So Jesus, responding to criticism he received from the religious leaders of his day, he challenged them. And he said this, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And a few verses later, verse 46, he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. See, friends, Jesus claimed that all scripture bore witness to himself. It's all about him. Even the tough parts. I've just begun reading through Leviticus. It's all about him. When we read the Bible, we should be looking for Christ on every page. 
There is life in the word of God, but that life is found in the person of Jesus. It's not head knowledge that brings us life. It's heart knowledge. It's encountering Jesus in his word. I loved our worship this morning. Man, was I blessed. Why did I love it? Because it led me into an encounter with Jesus. It reminded me of who he is. Got my eyes fixed on him when I had many other things to, to capture my attention. I said, let's focus on Jesus. And I encountered him there. It's all about him. And when we come to the word, it should be like when we come to worship or when we come to prayer. We say, I'm going to find you, Jesus, in here and I'm going to feast on you. We should be able to encounter God in his word. This isn't the head part and the, the singing's the heart part. No, it's all the heart part. And we, we engage our minds, we engage our intellect because it drips down into our heart and, and changes us. See, Jesus believed he was the climax and focus of all scripture. He believed the whole of the Old Testament was preparing for and pointing people towards his life and ministry. Luke chapter 24, verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, explained to them, the disciples, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's been said, and you may have heard this before, that the Old Testament is Christ concealed, and the New Testament is Christ revealed. But friends, it's all about him. Concealed or revealed, it's all about him. Another author, so I've got lots of Bible quotes, I hope it's okay to use the Bible to talk about the Bible today, and uh, many other uh, far greater thinkers than I am. Another one of these is a guy called Glenn Scrivener. Uh, he says this, it's my contention that Christ is either patterned, promised, or present on every page of the Hebrew Bible. He's talking about the Old Testament. More than this, in certain key passages, he is portrayed in all three ways at once. He continues, it's certainly true that there are patterns to spot in the Old Testament. Gospel imagery was built up over centuries, layer upon layer. You see, Jesus really is the true temple, the lamb, the priest, king, and prophet. He is a true and better Joseph, David, Jonah, and so on. This is all true, but it's not all of the truth. Because there are vital promises to trace throughout the scriptures. From Genesis 3.15 onwards, Jesus is the seed, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. He fulfills each promise of land, peace, blessing, and so on. This is all true, but it's not all of the truth. He continues, in addition to these perspectives, we, should all, uh, we also should see the Son of God as present in the Hebrew Bible. This is a vital component, lest we imagine a crunch of gears between the two testaments. What straddles the old and the new is not simply a plan or a promise, it's a person. It's surprising how explicit the New Testament authors are about Jesus' presence in the Old Testament. A couple of examples for you behind. He is the I am in whom Abraham rejoiced uh, was Jesus. He is the Lord who motivated, uh, the Lord who motivated Moses was Christ. The Redeemer who brought them out of Egypt was Jesus. The rock in the, 
uh, in the wilderness was Christ. The king of Isaiah's temple vision was the son. The point is, all scripture bears witness to Jesus. All scripture bears witness to Jesus. Maybe you want to take a picture and go and look at these uh, scriptures yourselves. Do they show up in blue? We can get them sent out. So, Jesus claimed that all scripture bore witness to himself. But Jesus also said that he came to fulfill all scripture. Elsewhere in Luke 24, Jesus explained to the disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. See, Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Just like the disciples, we need Jesus by the Holy Spirit to open our minds so that we might understand the Bible. You know, we can't approach the Bible like we're reading the latest novel or self-help book. Our understanding comes through relationship and revelation received by the Holy Spirit. You see, when we read the Bible, we need his help. Anyone, have, anyone else pray for help when they read the Bible? Yeah. It's a valid prayer because we need it. Whenever I come to read the Bible, I pray this short prayer. I say, Holy Spirit, would you give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand? You see, I need Holy Spirit to open my eyes to see Jesus on every page. I need him to unblock my ears so that I may hear every word the Father has to say to me. And I need a heart that is soft and malleable, one that not only receives information, but grows in intimacy as I draw close to God through his word. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart, Lord, to understand. This is not another book. This is your word for me. All scripture is fulfilled in Jesus. You know, a conservative estimation is that Jesus fulfilled at least 300 Old Testament prophecies. We need to understand that there isn't revelation and, uh, sorry, there isn't relevant and irrelevant parts of the Bible. Some parts may well be harder to understand than others, but all of Scripture finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. In Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Again, what we call the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, say not the smallest letter, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What do you want to be called? 
a challenge for us today, isn't it? Particularly as we read uh, parts of Scripture that just don't seem to align with culture, that just don't seem to go with the flow of, uh, of what media and, and, and people are saying around us. And we've got a choice. We can pick and choose or we can submit to it all. And what I'm not saying is that we have to understand it all because I'll be at the front of the queue. I don't understand it all. But we have to make a choice and we have to say yes to the word of God and work out the understanding as we go. Because I'd rather be known as great in the kingdom for obeying what I didn't know than be called least in the kingdom for choosing what I thought I knew and and got wrong anyway. Are you with me? I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying that this is a walk in the park. But what I'm saying is it's vital for life. If you want to follow Jesus... We've got to get in the Word with the Holy Spirit. Embark on a, a journey of delight in the Word. You know, let me tell you, let me be honest with you. I didn't love the Word of God for many, 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 many years. And it began to grieve me. And as I pick up the Word out of duty, I thought, this isn't right. I hear many people say, I love the Word, but I didn't. So my, my favorite prayers are always, God, help me where I can't help myself. You might have heard me say, Lord, make me hungry. It's my favorite prayer when I'm not hungry for God. Make me hungry. But I started to pray, Lord, help me to love your word. And I began to declare every time I open the word, I value your word. I love your word. I honor your word. I cherish your word. I used to hold it. It's not the physical book that I love. It's not the, it's not the goat leather or whatever it is or vegan alternative. It's... It, it's, it's what's inside. It's the voice of the Father. It's the gold that's on every page. And I love the word now. But, I, but some of you will be in the place that I was in. And say, I, I, I want to love the word. I, I think I should love the word, but I don't love the word. Just join me humbly and, and, and pray that prayer. God, help me to love the word. Do something in my heart. You know, there's a false understanding that the things written in the Old Testament don't apply to us now. And while holding their red letter Bibles, I don't know if you've come across a red letter Bible, it's the ones that highlight the, the words of Jesus in the New Testament. They hold their red letter Bible and say, I only read the words of Jesus. Well, according to Jesus, the whole of the Bible is his word. Now, if you've got a red letter Bible, that's not. <laughs> read your red letter Bible. But don't only read the bits in red. Let's, read, let's find Jesus on every page, amen? Yeah. Jesus said that he kept all scripture perfectly. It's vital that we understand that Jesus kept every letter of the law set out in scripture. This is important because as we saw last week, Jesus lived in perfect obedience to his heavenly father. He didn't neglect the written word of God. He honored it completely and was the only one in all of history to keep it perfectly. And by doing that, he upholds the law that was given by God, which has a significant implication for us. Romans 10.4 in the New Living Translation says this, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are what? Made right with 
God. Friends, it's so important that we believe that Jesus kept the law perfectly, that he didn't disregard one part of it, because if he did, his righteousness doesn't really become ours. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He had to have no sin. Therefore, he had to keep the law perfectly. He who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is really important for you and I. This is not just theology. This has deep, lasting implications for our life and our freedom, our righteousness in Christ. He kept the law perfectly. He didn't pick and choose. He didn't disregard. But he honored the thing completely. And because he did so, his righteousness is now ours, if you believe and trust in his name. Jesus submitted to scripture. So how do we walk in his way and do the same? Submitting to Scripture involves both believing in its teachings and implementing them in our actions. Following Jesus goes beyond receiving him as our Savior. It means accepting him as our Lord. And acknowledging him as our Lord requires surrendering our lives to him and living according to his teachings. So here are three ways we can honor the word of God in our lives today. Open it. Say, open it. it. Believe it. Say, believe it. Act upon it. Glad to see you're still awake. You see, let me encourage you. Open your Bibles. If you've got a Bible with you, open your Bibles. If you've got a digital Bible, a mobile Bible, open it up. Let me just say, if you don't have a Bible... Make it your priority to get one. If you can't afford a Bible, we will give you one. Just come and speak to us at the welcome uh, hub at the back at the end of the service. We will get you one. There are people in persecuted nations who literally may have one Bible between community, uh, whole people groups, and they might take a page each. You might think that's irreverent, tearing pages out of the Bible. Let me tell you, that's the most reverent thing that they do. They say, if I've got one page, I'm going to live on that page. I'm going to eat it, digest it. I'm going to meditate on it all the time. And maybe they'll, we'll swap a page. The most important thing you can do is open your Bible. And you've just done step one. That was easy, wasn't it? So that, that part's easy. Open your Bible. Get it off the shelf. Draw it in from three feet across the table. Begin to open it up. Don't be like the guy in the news article, waiting to hear from God when your Bible remains on your bookshelf. However, you can get it into you. Little and often is better than doing a cramming session every now and then. Many of us eat multiple times a day, don't we? Some may say, Tim, you seem to eat too many times a day. We don't save up until the end of the week and then gorge ourselves on food, do we? No, because our bodies need regular energy and sustenance. Some people say to me, I struggle to remember what I read in the Bible. Well, let me tell you, I couldn't tell you what I had for dinner last week, but I know it did me good. It's all right to not remember everything. Sure, meditate on it. Sure, try to remember it. Sure, try to let it just dwell within you so it becomes part of you. But if you don't remember, don't beat yourself up. 
because it will do you good anyway. Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it what? Every week, every month. No, meditate on it night and day so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Show of hands, who wants to be prosperous and successful? Oh, good, just a few of you. Open your word. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Anyone here need guidance in their lives? Good, me too, open your word. Are you struggling to overcome a particular sinful habit in your life? Well, hide the word of God in your heart and it will change you from the inside out. It will shape your motives and beliefs. Psalm 119 again, I have hidden your word in my heart that what I might not sin against you. We can't battle sin on our own. We can't do it with strong will. No, we need the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit to renew our mind and transform us. Do whatever you can to get the Bible inside you. Get a Bible. Read it. Get it on your headphones. Get it on a phone. Get it on the TV. Get it on YouTube. Whatever you are. It doesn't, doesn't matter where you get it. Just get it. Open it. So that's open it. But we've got to believe it, right? Again, Rene Sproul says, if we believe Jesus was who he said he was, then we must accept the entire Bible as God's word. So let me be blunt for a moment, if I haven't been blunt already this morning. We cannot claim to be followers of Jesus and not read and believe in his word. This series we're looking at the, uh, the way, following the way of Jesus. We can't follow Jesus without opening his word, believing his word. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me encourage you, you cannot live on worship songs alone. You cannot live on Sunday church alone. You cannot live off someone else's faith alone, but on every word that comes from the Father. Where's his word? It's right here. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you need faith, if you want to believe, begin here. So we need to open it. We need to believe it. Boy, do we need to act upon it. Because James, uh, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, warns us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Again, I'll put myself at the front of the queue. The number of times I've listened to the word and thought, yeah, that's the truth. And then I go about my business and do whatever I want to do. Don't just listen to the word. Don't collect information. Don't gather knowledge. If you just read one verse and repeat it for the next seven days over the week and you put that verse into action, let me tell you, that's, that's more effective than reading a Bible in a year. Just going through the motions and saying, yeah, tick box done. This word is to be lived out, to be acted upon. If we really treasure it, if we really value it as the word of God, we want to live it out. Let me conclude with a little story told by Jesus. 
found in the book of Matthew chapter 7. It says, Therefore, if anyone hears who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, it's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Some of you have the old Sunday school song coming up in your head now. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. And what happened? It fell with a great crash. Friends, we need more than experience. We need more than warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, We need the word of God. And let me tell you, you can encounter him in the word and have all of those other things I just said. We must be rooted grounded in his word. If we find a scripture that we don't agree with, it must grieve us to our core because we've got to wrestle with something inside of us. Say, Lord, this has got to align because we believe that you are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. And I believe that your, your, your word is abiding in truth. I just want to spend 30 seconds as we finish this morning. Sunday is not where everything happens uh, as a church and as a, as a Christian. This is the locker room. This is your halftime talk because you've got to go into the world tomorrow morning and put these things into practice. But what's good at halftime is just for us to take a moment and pause and say, right, tomorrow or going into the next half, here's what I'm going to do differently. So I just want to encourage you just for focus. If, you, if you're able, why don't you close your eyes? I'm not going to ask you to do anything publicly, but I just want you to focus uh, on the Lord right now. Maybe the Lord's been speaking to you about love for his word. Maybe there's something in the message or something in the worship this morning that God's been speaking to you about. Just take the next 30 seconds to respond to him and just say yes to him again. Maybe you long to love the word. Ask him to help you. Maybe you want to be more intentional about living it out. Ask him to help you by his Holy Spirit. Maybe you want to prioritize encountering Jesus in the word. Invite him in. Don't collect a moment. Don't collect a message and go unchanged tomorrow. Set your heart on transformation and change with him. Maybe some of you want to set your alarm or go to bed a little bit earlier tonight. Set your alarm a little bit early so you have that extra five or ten minutes to give to him. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We thank you for your presence here. Thank you for inspiring the written word. Thank you for speaking through the, uh, the apostles and the prophets and the authors of scripture. Thank you for bringing it all together. We love your word. We value it. We want to live by it just as Jesus did and walk in his way. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Thank you for listening to the message. If you'd like to connect with us or find out more about New Life Church, 
visit our website at newlifechurchmiltonkeynes.org.